Okay. We, as Nathaniel said, are, well, I don't know that you did say this. We, we are in Lamentations tonight, but that's a surprise, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. We are in a new series. It's, it is a break from Acts. We are in January, God willing, going to be back in Acts 16, which the rest of the book of Acts from 16 on is Paul ripping it up in the, in the ancient Near East for, the, for Jesus. So uh, it's a fitting sort of pause. We're going to be for the next seven weeks in um, doing a, king, a series on the kingdom of God. Prayed about it. I thought about it. It's elect, we're ramping up to the election. I didn't want to do something on God and politics or the election per se. I wanted to do something higher but very relevant to that but to other things as well. And last election, four years ago, last presidential election, I just saw a lot of people get super worked up and sort of lose their stuff over what to me seemed like a kingdom issue. The confusion between the kingdom of America and the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And so I want to get that straight. I want to look at that together. I want to see where the Bible takes us on that. We're going to kind of do a biblical theology of, of kingdom from Genesis to Revelation. Now, that being said, and then we'll move into Advent, which is the king and uh, his arrival. And we're always in a gospel in December. So it'll be seven weeks of this and then Advent and the king, the arrival of the king in a gospel. And then we'll go back to Acts, God willing, in, in, uh, in January. But the surprise is that I, I plan on being in Genesis for this first week. And, and instead, what happened is that I got a text from my sister. I was at a, up at a conference in the Woodlands all week, and I got a text at that conference from her saying, and she, she's given a word up here. She's usually here. I think she's going to be here a little later. She loves the Lord, hears from the Lord. And she said, Taylor, I've woken up. Now, by the way, I've never gotten any text like this from her. I've, woke, I've, I've woken up the last three nights in a row at 3.29 a.m. Okay, first of all, not cool, right? But she said, I feel like the Lord is, I feel very clear the Lord is waking me up at the same minute every night for the past three nights at 3.29. And I have you heavy on my heart. It's all I can think about. And I have no idea why. So can you please figure it out because I really want to go back to sleep. Is basically what she said. <laughs> and so... Thankfully, I was at a conference where they, it's, it's all about hearing the voice of the Lord in the scripture, but also outside of the scripture, but weighing it in community and taking it back to the word. But we believe in a God who speaks. We believe the scripture speaks about the fact that God's speaking all the time, uh, preeminently through his word and infallibly through his word, but also through creation and through his spirit to his people. And so um, I was able, I thought about it some, and I, my first thought was like, that might be a scripture reference. Sure enough, I asked the guy named Jack Deere, and he said, it's probably a scripture reference. I didn't say that to him. I didn't clue him in, but he just said, right away, so I went, okay. He said, Jack said what I thought, and I trust him. So anyway, not too hard to kind of thumb through the scriptures on that one. But I was at the conference, and I didn't. And then I got home a couple hours later, and I did a bit of listening prayer. In other words, I was just quiet. I said, and I said Lord, what, what is this? And I felt immediately, almost like before it was done, like he said, lamentations. To which point I fell to the floor <laughs> and said, oh no, <laughs> please not that book. Um, not a happy book. It felt like the Lord. It was one of the reasons is because I was geared up to preach on the kingdom. And I was geared up to be in Genesis. I was not thinking lamentations. Also, my sister was up three nights in a row with this thing. 
Jack said it's probably a scripture. I felt like it was probably a scripture. Sure enough, I went to Lamentations and the word in Lamentations 3.29 spoke right to me. Uh, where I am. So this is kind of more of a personal sharing for where I am and where I feel like God's calling me to. But me, I think a lot of times he, he'll do things in me and to me and through me that he wants to do with the people I'm shepherding. And I feel like this is a word for our, our times as well. And you'll, I'll unpack that in a second. But um, I, for the rest of the day as I was working in my office, kept wanting to go through every book of the Bible quickly. It would take 15 minutes, you know, and just see, okay, and is there anything else in 329? You know, because I don't want limitations. You know, I don't, I don't want that. But I, I felt like the Lord was saying, you can do that. It's going to be a 15-minute waste of time. You know, it's, but I finally did. And nothing else relates. There are two other possibilities that aren't really even relevant. So um, I really feel like limitations 329 is something that he has for me and has for us. And as you'll see, it turns out that it's extremely relevant. It's not just a one-off. It's actually extremely relevant for this series on the kingdom of God. Um, Lamentation is just a bit of of context before we jump in. It's just one verse. Uh, Nathaniel read around it, but Lamentations is written. We don't know the author. There are guesses. But Lamentations is written as a lament. Lamentations, it's a lament over the fact that the Babylonians have come in in 586 BC and destroyed Jerusalem. They've, they've raised it, they've leveled it to the ground. It's a, it's a rubble heap, it's ruins, it's a conflagration, it's in flames, it's blackened. There has been rape, murder, and pillage. Everything you can imagine when an army comes into a city and destroys it, just completely takes it down. And God's people have been exiled. Just as they were exiled east of the garden and barred from coming back in because of their sin, Adam and Eve, so God's people, Israel, the corporate Adam, has been sent east of the garden land that God gave them. Um, And so, and that's a different sermon, but this is Lamentations, it's a lament, and it's a really structured, it's in the middle of ruins and chaos, but it's a really structured book. I won't give you much more on it, we don't need it, but um, read any good intro to, to to the book, but Um, or commentary. It's five chapters. It's a short book, and it's very ordered. In the midst of all the disorder, it's an extremely ordered book. Why so? Well, or how so? uh, Chapters, almost all the chapters, chapters one, two, three, and four are acrostics, okay? That means there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and the first verse starts with A, and the second verse starts with B, and the the third verse starts with C in in the Hebrew, Aleph, Bet, Gimel. And so that's why there are 22 verses in Lamentations 1. There are 22 verses in Lamentations 2. There are 66 verses in Lamentations 3. Why? Because it's the crescendo. It's 22 plus 22 plus 22. It's three times as long. And yes, it's AAA, BBB, CCC. It's extremely ordered in the Hebrew, not in the the English. You're not going to see that in your English. Chapter 4 goes back to 22 verses, also an acrostic. Chapter 5 is not an acrostic, but it is 22 verses. We don't know why. There are some ideas. Point is, in the midst of this, God is here. In the midst of the chaos, God sits with us. There is still order and beauty, even in our doldrums, even when things are a wreck. And that's really what I want to preach on in part tonight. Um, I'm really talking tonight about how repentance readies us for the kingdom. Repentance alone readies us 
for the arrival of the king. Now, let me just read 329 again. The author says this. He says, I want to read verse 28 as well for a bit of context. Let him sit alone in silence. When it, okay, verse 27, excuse me, I'm sorry. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Now what's in that, what's the promise of that verse? It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. The promise there that's implicit is that there's going to be a time when he grows older where he won't have to bear the yoke. So there's already an implicit hope in that verse. Verse 28 goes on, let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. And then my verse, in our verse, let him put his mouth in the dust. You can see why I wasn't too happy to get that verse. Let him put his mouth in the dust. You can't go lower than that. And then the second part of the verse, there may yet be hope. There may yet be hope. The larger context of this book is hope and the word hope is in here, which is really a blessing that God, I feel, gave me this verse and gave us this verse. It's a hard verse. Put your mouth, put your, grind your face in the dust. That's, that's called, that's humbling. That's repentance. But there may yet be hope. The only way to hope, the way through which we have to walk to hope is humbling ourselves is repenting. Um, the ESV study Bible intro says, hope, not despair, is the final word in Lamentations. But as I said, to get to the hope in the verse, which is in the second line, you have to go through the first line, which is let him put his mouth in the dust. The only way to a hope that holds is through repentance. It's by starting over, tearing the house down, rather letting him tear the house down and give us a new foundation, right? Um, it's through putting our mouth in the dust. You know, eat dirt. Eat dirt is not a nice thing to hear somebody say to you. It's not fun. It's humbling. Um, in fact, I would say that putting your face in the dirt is a way of sort of symbolically dying. It's saying, like, kill me but spare my life or kill me so that I can live. So I think the question that comes to me and to us at this point is, and it's, again, this is very personal. This isn't me preaching at you at all, the farthest thing from that, but I'm just asking you to step into this word that I feel God has for us. And one of the other confirmations to me that this may be a word from the Lord, first of all, it is his word. It took me to his word. But also that it, it really, I, didn't, I wouldn't have chosen, chosen repentance, but repentance is the perfect place to start when you're preaching about readying yourself for the kingdom of God. Okay, so I'm going to get to that in a second. But we should ask ourselves, repent of what? What are we humbling ourselves for? What do you think? I want to, what we'll do is at the end of our time, as we take communion, we'll ask the Lord. I almost want to say, let's do it now, but let me keep preaching for a few more minutes. And then we'll move into a time of communion and just quiet. And I want you to ask God, I'll say it again at that time, Lord, what, what are you calling me personally and us as a church and then us as a nation to repent of? How do you want us to put our, our mouth in the dust? But let's just look at some of the facts. God shut the doors of churches across this country for months. Some are, some are still shut. Look at us. We're meeting on a Thursday night. Hardly any of our members are here. Um, there's been fear broadcast across our nation. Uh, we met in front yards all summer which is, I mean, some of y'all are here because of that, 
but it was a trip, man. It was hot, too. Uh, ironically, just when it started to get cool, we, we pulled inside. I'm not, that was, <laughs> that's just the way it is. But um, it was beautiful, but, but strange. Um, we, yeah, we're meeting now and not Sunday. Um, many, our people are, many of our people are not here. Just on a national level, there, there's riots. There's race hatred. There's election craziness. There are fires in the West, per usual, but worse than ever, maybe. Do you think God may be trying to get our attention? Nah. Jesus' description in Matthew of the days that follow his, uh, he says this in Matthew 24, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Does that sound like today? Does that sound like the church or what we thought was the church in America? I think it nails us uh, as a nation and as a church in a lot of ways. You know what I don't want, though, what I'm more terrified of than putting my mouth in the dust? Just going back to the way things were. Um, That's what I'm the most, maybe the most terrified of. I'm the most terrified of not listening as God is speaking not, not saying corporately and individually, Lord, what are you doing? What are you calling us to repent of? Why are you calling us to bear the yoke in our youth and to be still and quiet? Why are you shutting the doors of our churches? What do you want to say to us? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Um, my brother-in-law says, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I feel um, that Lamentations is an expression of that aphorism. It doesn't let a good crisis go to waste because we have it. It's a cry to God from the guts in the midst of the ruin. Um, and out of that dust eating, hope rises. The possibility of hope rises. My prayer for us uh, and for the church in America and the world is for sleepy Christians to wake up or walk away. And I'm begging God to purify and to revive his bride. And it's also for sinners to be saved, the lost found, the dead brought to life, and dead bones born again. Um, But until the church revives and wakes up, this is not going to happen. He's going to use a woken up, an awoken church. And I'm not trying to link that to the woke movement, so don't get nervous. And if you like that, then that's fine. Um, but I'm not, I'm not going to preach that gospel, although part of what we do need to repent of, this is not in the notes, of course, is um, just not, not seeing uh, the unity of the church and the preciousness of every individual and every race as one family from God. There are really two races, right? The lost and the saved, the saved through no good of their own. And we, uh, we, we have things to learn, lots to learn in that. But if that's what you think is going to save you, the woke gospel or something else, um, if it's a, then it's a false gospel. Okay, and so we want to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to address those things, including the election and all those things under that much larger umbrella as a people. Okay, so some of those things might be touched on in this series, but I, I want to preach something that's, that's over those things and that, that, that isn't therefore irrelevant, but very relevant, but larger. Okay, the kingdom of God. Um, again, at first I thought of this message as a one-off before the Kingdom of God series as a, as a welcome but hard to swallow interruption. But now I see 
um, what God no doubt has seen from the start. He's so much smarter and wiser and better than I am. This word is the perfect start to a series on the kingdom of God because repentance readies us for the kingdom. And only repentance readies us for the kingdom. There's a prayer gathering for revival in our nation going on in Sugarland this weekend. Some of you will know about it. Some of you might be uh, participating in it. But it's starting, they're starting with praying for repentance. And, and praying and repenting as a people. Um, and like Daniel did for his nation, probably repenting for the nation and for the church. Revival, if you study the history of revival... Uh, in the church, it's always preceded by an intense season of repentance and prayer. Every time. Every time. There is no revival without an intense season of repentance of God's people and intense and sustained prayer. And prayer, in a sense, is a form of repentance, right? Getting in our faces, kissing the dust and saying, Lord, if you don't, we can't do it. If you don't do it, it's not going to get done. Including, very much including our own hearts, right? Um, Resurrection is always preceded by death. Hope is always preceded by kissing the dirt. Always. But if you look at the next verse, just to move, don't worry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move to the next verse, say a few things, and then um, we'll close and move into communion together. But um, let him put his mouth in the dust, there may yet be hope. That's the verse that I feel that God has given to me and to us to start this Kingdom of God series. Um, but the next verse, I don't want to miss it. And of course, the whole book is, in the, in the whole Bible into which it's said is the context. But directly, next verse, verse 30 of Lamentations 3. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. And let him be filled with insults. Does that remind you of anyone? Yeah, I heard it whispered. It's always the right answer. Of course, it reminds you, it takes you straight if you know anything about his passion, any, almost anything about him, you know that Jesus literally embodies this verse. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot there, but one of the things we can say, and a few of the things we could say is God is not asking us to do anything he was not willing to do himself. And he comes into our mess and he comes into our national brokenness and the brokenness in his bride, the church, and into my own as a pastor and a son and a brother and a husband and a go on and name it person, a broken person. He comes into the midst of my brokenness all the way down into that mess, deeper than I care to admit and deeper than I'll probably ever know. He comes all the way down into that and he meets me in that place. And he, the more that he opens me up and the more that I open up my mess and my brokenness to him, that is what repentance is. That is what coming to the cross is. I deserve that. You took that for me. You had to bear that because it's my stuff. You became that. He absorbed it into his bones and into his soul on the cross. He meets us profoundly in the depth of our dislocation. And in going down there with us, he begins to heal. And he finished that work on the cross and it's going to play out through the rest of our lives as we look to him. In a state of continual repentance. Initially coming to him and saying, Lord, you died for me. You're alive as proof that, that your payment on the cross was satisfactory for me. Um, but then walking in a life of faith. 
in him, not in my own good works, but in his life for me and his death for me. And then walking that out in a state now because he's my advocate and he's my righteousness. And he totally forgave me because his blood cleanses me from all sin. Walking in a confident but humble state of kissing the dirt, of repentance. You know, Martin Luther said, um, and I say this so much, so forgive me if you've heard it a thousand times, but Martin Luther said, he wrote 95 theses and through those theses, he nailed them on the door, the, the door in Wittenberg and he, um, the cathedral door there. And he said, uh, the first of the 95 theses that set the world aflame was uh, the Christian life is one of continual repentance. Um, he only rebuilds from one place, ruins. If you look at Isaiah 61, that not only our founding text as a church, but his inaugural text where he basically took the mic and said, he read the text from Isaiah 61 and then said, that's me. I fulfill that today in your hearing. It's about God taking ruined people and places and building beautiful and strong oaks of righteousness from them. Um, and that's all that he works with. And the sooner we realize that, the better. He only rebuilds from ruins. That's what, it's what the cross means. It's why the rex- resurrection only follows the cross. Death has to precede it. And that death comes the more and the more that we see his glory and his goodness and his mercy on us, the more that we see our own sin and then continue to cry out in a repentant state to him. Um, pick up your cross and follow me is a thing for life. It's not just a one time I'm saved and then I get to go to heaven. It's a way of life. It's picking up your cross and it's carrying and it's following him. We are instantly considered righteous and made clean when we believe on him and repent. But that works itself out, sanctification, throughout our lives. And it's all by faith. Faith is the A to Z. It's not the A to ABC of the Christian life. Um, So just as Luther said the Christian life ought to be one of continual repentance, my mentor said he was praying for this message today and he he just, he said it in one line and I'm quoting, he's one of the most godliest men I know, okay? So godlier sanctification wise, farther along in the journey, his righteousness is Christ just like yours if you trusted in Christ, same, it's Jesus's, okay? But he's he's, um, become more like Jesus in his walk of faith than most of us in this room, if not all of us. He's so humble and loving and patient. But he said, I shall be praying as one who always needs to repent. He knows. And, and, and finally, before reading Hosea 6 and then kind of walking into a prayer, John the Baptist, sort of, I could have just said this and sat down, so sorry. And he basically did. He had a one-word sermon. Don't you wish I could preach like that? He had a one-word sermon. What was it? Repent. And the longer version, my, my daughter let me know, is eight words. I haven't counted them, but repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, so in other words, if we want, if we know the kingdom's coming, if we know the king is coming, what do we do to prepare? We repent. We kiss the dirt. We go to the cross and we say, you for me. Lord, again, I need it. I need it every day. Um, and then he baptized. That was his one word was repent. And, his, and he baptized. His actions said the same thing. To, to live, you have to die, right? And, and I said that my daughter corrected me because I was telling them about it. I said, John the Baptist had one word sermon, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And she's like, that's eight words, dad. Okay. You're right. Um, 
just as we sort of close down, let me read Hosea 6. I feel like Hosea 6, the first three verses, the prophet just puts this concept so beautifully of God tearing us, but only to bring us into hope and new life. He says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us. How, how, how's, the, how's the robustness of your sovereignty of God these days? For he has torn us. Why? Why has he torn us? That he may heal us. Hang on to that. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. See Christ here. On the third day, he will rise us up. Do you see Christ embodying that for us? Do you see Christ entering into our national mess, into our ecclesiastical mess, into your personal mess? It's what he loves to do. And the way in is repentance. Um, Let us know, verse 3, let us press on to know the Lord His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. We know this though. It's how muscle grows, right? I was talking to my kid the other day about it. I was like, you know, we were talking about pain. I was like, man, you know, how do you build muscle? Yes, you tear it down. You You hurt yourself, literally. You hurt yourself and then the muscle gets torn down and stripped away and then it builds back stronger. It's just the way God made our bodies and it's a picture of life. It's what God does. Um, It's also like the butterfly emerging from its chrysalis or its cocoon or its tomb, right? It it emerges a butterfly, but it goes in a caterpillar and it goes into this tomb and it since dies and out of it comes this beautiful creature. It's the only way. It's the only way to life. Um, So let's ask him, Father, this is a prayer for me and for all of us. Help us now and moving forward to kiss the dust in the good hope that your kingdom might come to us and in us and through us in greatest possible measure for the hope of our lives, our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our city, our nation, and our world. God, we are between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. Let us now be still while you part the waters. Our eyes are fixed on you. Amen. Amen.